0: This is The Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. What is underwriting? More specifically, what is manual underwriting when it comes to getting your loan approved when buying a home? So we've done an episode in the past where we've actually gone into the process of how underwriting works, how an underwriter looks at a file today's a little bit different in the idea that most loans are automated to some extent, right Josh, and you're going to elaborate on this in a little bit more detail, but most loans are automatically approved, but there's a portion of buyers out there that that don't meet that qualification to have that automated approval, therefore it has to go to an underwriter to be manually underwritten in today's episode that's really what we're diving into in more detail, so Josh manual underwriting kind of a brief
1: overview what is it let's just start with automated underwriting and what that is so i'm old we've gone through that multiple times on the show but in 1996 when I started doing loans, there was no such thing. I think we got a desktop underwriter Fannie Mae's version of automated underwriting in 97 or 98. And I remember all of the old dog underwriters saying, this is stupid, machines are never gonna replace us. And they are correct, at least through 2023, we've gotten to the point where almost all the files are done with automated underwriting, but it is a tool that your underwriter uses to validate and verify that the loan conforms to the guidelines of the loan program that you are applying for VA, FHA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, USDA, they all have their own automated underwriting systems that are programmed with the guidelines of the loan. So the underwriter, is actually going through and validating and verifying the correct information. So they want to confirm the income. They want to confirm the employment history. They're looking at the title report. They're looking at the appraisal. They're looking at all of those things in the file. But the last thing that they do Once they've confirmed the accuracy of all the information, they push a button and they send it through the automated underwriting system. For USDA, that's Gus. For Fannie Mae, it's DU. For Freddie Mac, it's Loan Product Advisor. FHA can go through either of those, but it's the total scorecard. And basically, all it is doing is in an automated way, making sure that once the underwriter has tightened up the file and we don't have garbage in, so we're not getting garbage out, we have clean information, it is giving you back an automated approval. So, with that, it tells them what they need. The benefits of this is oftentimes automated underwriting can go to higher debt to income ratios. It can have less requirements in terms of documentation. Maybe you only need one year of tax returns and W-2s. Maybe we don't need to explain collection accounts because it's already been taken into account by the automated underwriting system. So when we do not get that automated approval, we are looking at a situation where the file has to be manually underwritten. It is not always an option. It's not an option for every loan program. But for many, if not most, it is. And what the genesis of today's conversation is, we had someone from the live show asked, can you do an episode? Can you explain what manual underwriting is? And you give me your thoughts on this. But I think the reason why that is out there is in the world of YouTube, in the world of podcasts, people are wanting to talk about things. They want to throw headlines up. One of the ones that's a pet peeve of mine, people talking about, oh, I have a 581 credit score, so I'm eligible for FHA. Yes, the guideline says if you have a 581, you can do a minimum down doesn't guarantee it doesn't mean you will get an automated approval. So another thing that's sexy to throw out in your topic for your video or your podcast episode is manual underwriting doesn't matter. you you couldn't get an automated approval, you can get manual underwriting. So we're going to go through all the details of that, what the downsides are, when it can be used, when it can't be used, when it has to be used, even on a file that otherwise can get an automated approval. Yeah, Josh, we're going to talk about this in detail, but I think it's important
0: to give people an overview to start with. Why would someone not get an automated approval, right? So why would you ever have to get to this phase? Is it because your credit is less than perfect? Is it because you have maybe some collection accounts. What classifies someone to get pushed to the side and need
1: somebody to manually go through the file to make sure they're approved? It's generally credit related. won't say that's the only situation where that happens, but credit related debt to income related and the reason why we're being a little bit vague on this is the automated underwriting systems are truly a black box we don't know what the algorithm is for manual underwriting for standard traditional guidelines it is in the underwriting manual for fannie freddie fha va we can look and we go this is what the standard ratio is but we can almost always exceed that. So we'll get a situation where, in some of these loan officer groups that I'm in online, people will reach out and say, hey, I have no idea what's going on. This have a 695 credit score, so it's not the best credit, but it's not bad credit. I get these approved all the time, and this is a conventional loan with a 43% debt to income ratio. Why will this not approve? Impossible for anyone to say, unless you're the engineers at, at Fannie Mae that can pull that automated underwriting algorithm apart and say, but, Uh, another important thing to note there is those algorithms are constantly getting updated you know we get two three four updates a year and they'll tell us in broad strokes what the update is but until it gets out in the real world and in those loan officer forums where we start talking anecdotally what we're seeing in general what we've seen over the last few years is a tightening Less situations where we get appraisal waivers. Less situations where you can go over a 45% debt-to-income ratio. More situations where you see a random weird number, like it's got to stay under 40, it's got to stay under 36 to get an approval. So when you say what causes it, it's the overall strength of the file. So the big things in that are debt-to-income ratio, credit score, most importantly, and financial position. So meaning, do we have any reserves? Do we have any other funds that uh, are available? Should you run into financial difficulties?
0: We're probably going to get a cease and desist on this episode because Josh just played copyrighted music <laughs> mid-podcast. Mid, uh, mid so, uh, you know, this episode could disappear. So if you hear it and you like it, make sure you share it quickly. But no, in all reality, Josh, I want to throw this out there. This is not part of our outline, but I think it's important for people to note The pre-approval process is a relatively easy process to go through. And I say that because it's really a matter of a borrower providing documentation to a professional On the other side, you know, W-2s, pay stubs, in some cases, tax returns, you know, asset account statements, letting a lender run your credit to get an idea of of your file. Right. And, And from there, they can take that information, put it into a loan application and submit it through one of these automated underwriting engines to come back and say, Josh, you're actually approved to buy a home. Now with that, there's no 100% certainty at that point that you are fully approved, right? It's a pre-approval because in, until you have appraisal, until you have everything ready to go, the property locked in, nothing is done, right? It's not done until it's done. And what I often hear is people going through more of a pre-qual stage. They talk to a lender, hey, Josh, I have a 750 credit score. I make $100,000 a year. I'm putting 5% down. These are the debts that report on my credit score. Can I buy a house? And some people might just look at it and go, yeah, based on that, you're pre-approved to X amount, right? Without ever getting that documentation. That leaves a lot to be determined. And, you know, they didn't even take the time to gather the documents and at least run you through that stage of that automated underwriting. And so the automated underwriting is only as good as the information that was put in there. So if you're working with a jackass, so to speak, that doesn't understand the business, that isn't getting documentation. In some cases, they don't understand how to read tax returns. And this sounds crazy that I'm even saying this because you're like, how could somebody be doing this business and not understand this? There's a lot that don't, that truly don't understand how to read tax returns in detail and be able to factor this stuff in. And so a lot of times incorrect information is put into these files and it spits out an automated approval. And it says, Josh, you're good to go. You're approved. And then you get into the process and realize, no, that wasn't input correctly. So I'm throwing this out there to make sure that if you're going through the process, make sure you're working with somebody that knows the business, has experience, not the guy that just you know was another job yesterday and now became a loan officer because it was busy and heard people were making money. Just take the time, do your research, and make sure you're working with a professional out there in in the business because it will save you some time. And the other thing I say about that, Josh, is that If, for example, it goes to its automated underwriting system and it comes back and it says approve and eligible, right? That's one of the things that can come out of that. Well, you can go in and change a couple of things in some cases and just make it spit out and approve eligible without actually having the documentation and the information necessary to do that. And so somebody can tell you you're approved when, in fact, you're not. Kind of taking us off course a little bit, but it just it is so important. And people truly don't understand it because people want to hear what they want to hear. Right. And so if you're telling me that I'm approved, that's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear that I'm not approved. So I'm going to believe you and go with it when, in
1: fact, maybe you haven't done the right work. So there's actually a couple of really important things there that you brought up. So let's talk about when the file goes through the automated underwriting system, assuming good and accurate information is winning. We're not putting garbage in. We're not getting garbage out. We have a valid outcome. What you're looking for is approve eligible loan prospector Freddie Mac system. We'll come back with accept, but a version of that. If it doesn't approve, it's going to come back approve ineligible. Ineligible generally means, hey, the way you've entered this doesn't meet the program guidelines. And what does that mean? Okay, we put it in as a zero down conventional loan. There's no such thing as a zero down conventional loan. It's ineligible because we haven't met the down payment requirements. But then there's also Refer eligible. It says, okay, the loan, the way it's structured, meets the guidelines. There is a program for that. But the referrer says the borrower doesn't meet that. So mm-hmm. primarily what we're talking about today is situations where the borrower doesn't meet the guidelines and is getting pushed to a manual underwrite. And let's also just a really quick overview of who are the people that have their hands in your file that you're yeah, really what, what is underwriting,
0: with? Josh? Like the basis of underwriting.
1: So you just talked about it's important that you work with a loan officer, a loan originator, a mortgage consultant that knows what they're doing. That's my job. That's my role. We make the first conversation. We learn from you what you want to do. We gather the basic documentation that allows us to accurately calculate income to determine that you have the funds available. We pull your credit and we're doing that pre-approval. So between there and underwriting, which what did we say underwriting is? The underwriter is going through reviewing all of that documentation, making sure we have an accurate income calculation, that we don't have any large deposits or anything weird with the assets that we can't use. They're gonna go even further. They're gonna look at the appraisal. They're gonna look at the preliminary title report. They're gonna look at everything in the file and make sure all of our ducks are in a row. There's generally a person also in between there that is the loan processor. I am a salesperson, so after we do that pre-approval, I am out working with more people who would like to apply, who would like to start that process. A lot of what we're talking about there is important detailed desk work it's not unimportant it's not trivial a loan processor is very important but their job is to get all the ducks in the row the underwriter is not going to go back and track down a revision to an appraisal or a correction from title the processor is the person who is working your file to make sure everything is in there that the underwriter requires
0: josh i want to point out how important that person is because a lot of times that person knows more than the loan officer knows. In your case, that's not true, but a lot of times the loan processor, the underwriter, are the glue that holds that whole thing together because the loan officer, a lot of times, is the salesperson, right? They know how to get business, but a lot of times they don't understand the intricacies of that business. And it's important, a lot like real estate, to finding the professional that not only understands it, can convey it, is good at sales, but is also understanding of how the file works. Hey, if the loan processor's not here, I can still do the job. Like if a loan processor doesn't show up today, your file is still going to be approved. It's still going to get to the next step. There are people out there that if they don't have the loan processor, the world crumbles. And again, we get off on a tangent here, but it's because we see so many issues in the business.
1: So so in that context, let's go back and pick up that conversation of, okay, you are a referrer. You are not getting an approval and it is you. It is not the way the loan is structured. You are the issue when is a manual underwrite available and what does that mean? Technically, all of the loan programs that we're talking about will allow a manual underwrite. So before we go too far into the details of that, Jeb, I wanna start the conversation where we go back, who is the world's biggest proponent of manual underwrites? It is one Dave Ramsey. I don't want anyone out there going, Jesus, these guys will not stop talking about Dave Ramsey. They really hate him. I love Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is one I look up to. He does a great job of presenting information. Actually, you would
0: not look You would look down. He's like five.
1: you You know what I'm saying. Figuratively, not literally. But from that perspective, he's done a lot of good for a lot of people. But on this note, I, I believe he's blinded by the fact that he has a relationship with one specific mortgage company that anyone who inquires with him gets referred to that he has an advertising arrangement with. And with that, he says, hey, don't worry about having a credit score. If you don't use any credit, you pay off all your debt. You can still get a manual underwrite. You can still get a loan. Is that true? In theory, it is. And if you go to his company that he suggests, they work with that. But the reality is that loan is worth less in the secondary markets. You will be paying a premium for that. So not only a premium for your mortgage, if you do not have a credit score, you will pay a premium on everything in life. You move to a new apartment, you move to a new house, you wanna get your utilities set up, you're gonna make a deposit. You call and get insurance on your car, you're gonna pay a higher rate. So to me, it's incredibly short-sighted advice to say, hey, just so you don't get into uh, any trouble with debt, we're gonna have no debt, and no credit score. In this issue, uh, it's very rare that we have someone that has no credit score, but let's start with that. If you had no credit score and you found a lender on a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loan who will do a manual underwrite with no credit score, that is very rare, but they are still going to have to then start by developing an alternative credit history. You're gonna be providing a history of paying your rent, paying your utility bills, all sorts of things that are not necessary when you have a credit score and you have an automated underwrite. Mm -hmm. So without going too far down the rabbit hole of what it means for every program, if you have no credit score, you're gonna have to come up with an alternative credit history. Fairly easy, FHA, VA, USDA, not easy, I say fairly easy, But I made several calls knowing we were going to do this episode. We have about 70 different wholesale lenders that we work with, meaning that we can either broker loans to or fund loans and sell them to. And I found no one who would do a manual underwrite on a conventional loan for someone without a credit score. It's just it's very hard to find. So your options are going to be limited and obviously you are going to pay a premium in that interest rate. So from that perspective, it's not that hard to get a credit score. People with no credit history can get a credit score within 90 to 180 days. If you think you are going to buy a house, we probably should do a video on that, Jeb, how to get from zero credit score to an acceptable credit score so you can get the most options and the best terms on your loan. But let's think more of this is someone who has that 585 credit score and they wanna do a three and a half percent down FHA and we cannot get an automated approval what changes in this situation where we're going to a manual underwrite. We talked about it a little at the top of the show, Jeb, you're gonna be limited. You're gonna have a lower debt to income ratio. We've probably gone over a hundred times on an FHA loan with an automated approval. It will generally let us go up to 46.99 housing to income ratio and a 56.99 total debt to income ratio. The max you're going to be able to get to with a manual underwrite is 40 over 50. And it's even lower in some situations. Don't want to go down the rabbit hole into every possible permutation of what this looks like. But it's going to be lower. We've talked about on the show, Jeb, many times, VA. You can go as high as, I got one approved this week with with over a 70% debt-to-income ratio. That will not happen on a manual underwrite. Now, VA does not post a specific guideline that says this is the max for a manual underwrite. Most lenders won't let you go over a 50%. We have a handful of them that will let you go as high as a 60 and largely you may be asking how, what are they basing that off of that? You can't get an automated approval, but you can go as high as a 60% debt to income ratio. VA relies heavily on the residual income calculation. So they're running that residual income calculation saying you have enough money left after all your bills are paid that you can pay this mortgage, put food on the table, take care of your family. So those are the big things that you're looking at is you're going to be limited to a lower debt to income many times you will need jeb to have reserves post-closing reserves so however much money we say here's your down payment here's your closing costs here's how much you have to bring in at closing you'll have to have one to two to three months of post-closing reserve one to two to three months of your total payment Mm -hmm. principal interest taxes insurance hoa if any big picture what i think everyone needs to take from this episode is yes Manual underwriting is a tool. It is possible, but there are some pretty severe limitations and we want to avoid it if at all possible just to make a smoother, easier, simpler, more certain process for you as a buyer and for your realtor and the sellers and and their representation on that side. So how can you? Avoid it, really. I think that's the question
0: that a lot of people want to know. And and I think the easy answer is focusing on improving your credit score. The credit situation, you know, I asked early in the episode, where do you see people fall in this manual underwrite more than anything else? And more or less a credit related. And, and I think about that. And as you're talking and think, you know, FHA allows as low as a 500 credit score with up to 10% down. And I think about that and people go, I have 500 credit score. I've got 10% down therefore. I must qualify. You meet the basic guidelines. There's no world in which you're going to make the automated underwriting on that file. That is going to be a manual underwrite situation. And a 500 credit score in no world is a good credit score. And should you be buying a house? That's difficult to say because we don't know what got you to a 500 credit score. But where you can avoid being in this situation is improving your credit, right? We talk about two things. If you're in the position at the moment, you're just listening to this, trying to become the educated home buyer, but you're six months, a year out from doing this, Where can you focus your time and attention? Two areas, really. Credit affects your monthly payment more than anything else. It affects your ability to qualify, whether or not you're ever going to be able to buy a home, for one, along with income and some other things. But credit affects the rate that you get, which ultimately impacts your score. And so the higher your credit score is, the the better the ability that you're going to meet some automated underwriting. And or even if you don't, the better the chance that a manual underwrite happens, you got good credit, you've, you meet the other qualifications, then you're in a better position to buy a home. So down payment, credit score are really important when it comes to buying
1: a home. Let's underscore the second piece you said there, down payment. With a big down payment, we can get really awful loans and automated approval because that algorithm is designed to measure the risk Risk. to the lender. What is the risk of the default? And if there's a default, what is the risk of a loss to you as the lender? So I've had people with atrocious credit scores, like you said, hey, you have a 500 credit score, you can do an FHA with 10% down per the guidelines, but you're never getting an automated approval. You might, but you would probably be putting 50% down if you were. That minimum 10% down, which in that situation with that credit score is minimum, the file is not going to present to that algorithm in a way that you are likely to get approved. But with a big enough down, now we've removed the risk to the lender. So, from that perspective, absolutely optimize, maximize your credit score. And it's an interplay. When we see these refer, the rejected files that don't get an accept finding, that get a refer, It's either just credit score related or an interplay of credit score and debt to income. So there are only two ways to fix debt to income, reduce debt. Reducing the debt may increase your credit score, but also improving your income. If that is possible, you know, that's not something that generally happens. You know, if you could make 10% more money, you probably would be. You wouldn't go, oh, wait, I want to buy a house. Let me go make sure I increase my income 10%. I think we've covered most of this, Jeb. One point that I did want to throw out there is, Specifically with FHA, there are situations where you can get an automated approval, but it is required to be manually downgraded. A few of these, $1,000 or more of disputed derogatory credit accounts, bankruptcy within two years of the case number assignment, foreclosure deed in lieu of uh, foreclosure or short sale within three years of case assignment, those generally show up in the credit report and are seen by the automated system, but sometimes they don't report accurately. So if something is on the credit report, the timelines don't add up, you may get an approve eligible on a file that's not, that it actually has to go to a manual downgrade. Now, there are exceptions on those, but that exception has to be made by a human and not by the system. Payment history. On FHA, on a purchase, if you had more than three, 30 day late in the last 12 months on a mortgage, if you had uh, one times 60, plus one times 30 or more in Ex- the last Explain what that months. means, Josh,
0: so people understand. 30 days.
1: So one times 30 day late. So in that initial situation, three 30 day lates in the last 12 months in and of themselves will make you ineligible. But if you had one 60 day late and another 30 day late, or two thirty-day lates, or five thirty-day lates, problematic, and any ninety-day late in the that last twelve months it doesn't say you can't be approved. There's an automatic manual downgrade regardless of what the automated system says.
0: And I want to take this one step further because back in the day when I did loans, I would have this conversation: "Hey, do you have any lates?" And people would say, "Yeah, I paid my mortgage late." That's not what it means. You have a fifteen-day grace period with your lender to pay your mortgage before a late fee is attached to that mortgage payment typically speaking. right. So as long as you pay it before the 15th of the month, there's no late fee attached. After the 15th, there's a late fee, but it still hasn't hit your credit yet until after 30 days. Once you've gone 30 days after the payment was due is when it starts reporting to the credit bureaus and it will start affecting your score. So even if you can't make a payment on the 1st, but you're able to make it by the end of the month, it's super important that you do that And don't wait until the following month because then you start having rolling 30-day lates and and other things that ultimately affect your credit. And, you know, people look at it a little bit different ways, but it's just a a lack of understanding how it works. So
1: it's a huge misconception, Jeff. People will tell me all the time, oh, yeah, you know, a few months back I did. I I had a late payment. Okay, what do you mean by that? I paid it on the 20th and I had to pay a $150 late fee. We go, okay. Not good, but in terms of reporting, until you are 30 days late, nothing's going to hit the credit report. Underwriter has no way of ever seeing that. So we want to avoid it in the future. You don't want to pay unnecessary late fees, but you're good from our perspective, and it shouldn't impact your credit score. So a couple of additional things. We talked about What might you have to do on a manually underwritten loan that you wouldn't otherwise have to do? Almost always with a manual underwrite, we're looking at a full two years of income. Certain loan programs with an automated approval, we can go one W-2, one tax return if the tax returns are required. These are almost always going to be two years. Something that back in the 90s when I started doing loans, every file we were writing letters of explanation, letter of explanation for this inquiry, letter of explanation for this late, letter of explanation of why we have this collection account with modern automated underwriting, it generally says, hey, I see it, I've analyzed it, I don't care about it. On a manually underwritten file, we're going to explain all of those crazy bad things that happened in there, no matter how small or trivial they may look to you. The last one that is probably a really important one for us to cover here, Jeb, is the concept of compensating factors. When we said You could, in certain situations, go to a 40 housing to income, 50% debt to income ratio on an FHA, 60 on a VA. You cannot do that without compensating factors. And what are those? They're things that are not required in a loan with an automated underwrite, but positive factors in your favor that we can point an underwriter to to say, this is why this is a good risk. FHA's list is really short, I'll actually read you the entire list, and then VA's is longer, and it pretty much mirrors this just just in a little bit more detail. So FHA, what could be a compensating factor? Verified and documented cash reserves. Yeah, you're only doing 3.5% down, but you got $150,000 in the bank or in a 401k. That's a good, that's a positive thing. Less risk to the lender. Minimal increase in housing payment. You've been renting a house for $2,500 a month, and your new mortgage payment is $2,600. Hey, we can show with the 12-month canceled checks, you've been happily and successfully paying $2,500. $2,600 shouldn't be too much trouble for you. Significant additional income not reflected in effective income. So we've talked before on the show, what, what could this be, Jeb? Someone got a second job a year ago. We don't have the two-year history of it, but we have. They make an extra three thousand dollars a month at their second job. We can't use it in qualifying income, but we know that it's there and it's going to help pay the bills. Bonuses, commissions,
0: in- that sort of thing. Does that also qualify in that, Josh?
1: Only if they're not eligible to be used as qualifying income. So absolutely. We have bonus income or overtime, but we don't have the two-year history of it. But we see it. We see you've got it for a year, and we know that it's additional income. Residual income. We know that VA always relies on that. FHA doesn't. But if we do the same calculation and can show them, hey, we meet this residual income requirement. VA adds a few to that an excellent credit history. If we have an excellent credit history, we're probably not going to be looking at manual underwriting. Conservative use of consumer credit, minimal consumer debt, long-term employment. You've been in your job for 25 years. Again, reduces risk to the lender. Bigger than required down payment. Existence of equity and refinancing. So we talked about that there's more equity in the home or you're making a bigger down payment, less risk to the lender. They're more likely to approve it. Little or no increase in shelter expense, same as the increase in, in the monthly payment. Satisfactory homeownership experience in the past. You've been a homeowner before and you didn't lose the home. Low debt to income ratio, tax credits for childcare that aren't really used in qualifying, but we can document them. Tax benefits of home ownership, which we've, we actually did an episode on that. There aren't that many of them, so I don't know how well we would be able to document that. But those are the things that we would want to point out if we're trying to go to as high a debt to income ratio as possible with a manual underwrite?
0: No, it's good stuff. Ideally, you don't want to be in the manual underwrite camp if you don't have to be. Ideally, you'd like to be able to to get through that automated underwriting system, Josh, but jumbo loans that don't meet uh, basic loan requirements, are those something that, that get an approve eligible when they go through, or are most of those manually
1: underwritten? So most jumbo loans are manually underwritten. I would say some, not necessarily many, but some, a not insignificant amount of jumbo programs will want you to have that Fannie Mae automated underwrite in the file and it'll be approved ineligible because it exceeds the county loan limits, but they still want to see that the automated underwriting system liked all of the other details of it. Some jumbo lenders have created their own automated underwriting system. Most of them are a manual underwrite from the very beginning. So still old school, like back in the nineties where an underwriter is going through and determining that everything meets the qualifications versus just relying on the automated, even if the automated is also required.
0: Yeah. And the reason I brought that up, cause I, quite frankly, I, I that's the way I remembered it, but what I wasn't a hundred percent sure. So there's some cases where There's no way around it. There's going to be a manual underwrite on the file. But underwriter is always looking in the file, regardless if it's a manual underwrite or an automated file, right? They're still checking all of this documentation. It's just a finer tooth comb. With the manual underwrite, like Josh said, making sure you meet the basic requirements, you have the compensating factors, and then really looking at the big picture and saying, is this person in a position to buy a home based on what we see here? Is this a sellable loan on the other side? is really an important piece of it as well because most lenders aren't going to take on a loan that they can't sell on the secondary market. Otherwise it's stuck on their books and creates issues, just things that lenders don't want to take in. So I feel like that was a a really good breakdown there, Josh. Like you mentioned earlier, this episode came about because people asked the question of manual underwriting, what is it, can we explain it? So I'm asking you now as listeners of the show, is there something we haven't covered or that we've covered maybe previously, or just not in enough detail where you want a further explanation. If there is, if you're watching on YouTube, comment in the video below. If you're listening online, you can also comment through the app that you're listening to probably, or you can send us an email directly and we'd be happy to, to take that into consideration so that we can, again, help you become that educated home buyer. So Josh, anything we're missing here on the mon- manual underwriting front that you want to add?
1: I think we closed the loop with this. I do a handful of these in in a year, less than 10, significantly less than 10. Say some years it's two or three, some years it's five, six, seven. This is not something that should come up all the time. And if you are not able to get an automated approval, it should give you pause to think, why is that? And is that reason a valid reason to maybe delay this until I can get an automated approval? So obviously there are situations where you can successfully become a borrower slash homeowner if you're buying versus refinancing where this is necessary and it is the, the one way. We had a timeframe, 6, 12, 18 months that we went through something that is in the past and we're gonna do a refinance to move beyond it or we're gonna buy a home that's gonna give us a better financial future for our family to move forward and improve our finances. But just be honest with yourself. It's never to say that a manual underwrite is the wrong move. It's just there's some restrictions here and we might wanna ask ourselves, are the issues that are preventing me from getting an automated uh, approval unlikely to recur in which case if the time is right go ahead and buy or do we say hey let's make sure over the next 6-12 months we can put ourselves into a position where we can get an automated approval and get the absolute best terms and make sure we're on solid footing the most important thing we talk about here Jeb is over the long haul Most people want to and should become a homeowner. It doesn't mean everyone at all times. And this specific subset of people, just have your loan originator walk through with you. Why am I not getting an automated approval? From your perspective, is it reasonable that I should buy? And then go through that with your family, your significant other, whoever is an important decision maker there, and just make sure that you're being honest with yourself. And now is a good time for you to step into the market and successfully borrow and repay that mortgage.
0: I think that's well said. Always fall back on the slogan here of the show, which is buy right, borrow smart, and build Wealth." Focus on the things that you can control, credit, down payment, that sort of thing, to put yourself in the best position so that when you're ready to buy, you, you have that foundation to build off of. But if you found any value in today's episode, do us a favor, hit that thumbs up if you're on YouTube, if you're on Spotify or Apple or a podcast online, you can rate us and review us. All of that helps. But until next time, adios.
1: Amigos. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us
0: or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for
1: listening.